So next up, we have the scripture reading, and I'm going to invite you to stand as we listen uh, to the word of God. We stand out of, out of just respect for the word. It's something that the uh, people throughout the history of the church have done, throughout the Bible. When God's word is read, uh, we stand out of respect for that word. So I'm going to read Psalm 23, and then, we can, and then I'll say a short prayer, and then we can take a seat. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, our rock and our redeemer, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So Father, we ask now that the meditations of our hearts all together would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in whose name we pray. Amen. You can take a seat. Thank you. So we're looking at one of the most uh, well-known, and as I've said, uh, I think one of the most um, most misunderstood psalms or passages of the Bible, Psalm 23. It's one of the most well-known passages in all of Scripture, and yet I think one of the most misunderstood. And we're doing that because... Psalm 23 provides answers to some of life's ultimate questions. Uh, But also, I think because in a year of social and political unrest, where I think nationally and locally, you know, you could probably make the case, I think everyone is kind of dissatisfied in all of our leadership. Um, And in a season of this church, of Resurrection OC, where there's been a transition of leadership. Uh, It's good. I think it's necessary. I think it's valuable to once again fix our eyes on the Good Shepherd. And that's what Psalm 23 does. Uh, See, this poem is using, uh, if you've you've grown up with it, if you're familiar with it, you know, uh, that it's using the imagery of the shepherd to talk about the God of the Bible and his relationship uh, to us, with us, as people. Uh, Let me just say that laying on your deathbed 40 years from now or four days from now, the 2020 election, it won't, I I can almost guarantee you, won't mean a thing to you. Uh, The work emails that you could have answered won't mean a thing. But knowing this shepherd in Psalm 23, that will mean everything. And more than that, I think this, as I said last week, this ancient poem offers you, I think, incredible resources for how to live confidently and courageously in any and every circumstance. It teaches you how to live well. So that's why we've lasered in on Psalm 23. And today I want us to meditate just on verses 2 to 3. Uh, when I was initially kind of drafting the plan for the month, uh, what's, what kind of series we would go through Psalm 23, I had initially thought that we'd get through verses 2 to 4 today, but... And I think that would have been a nice little sermon. But as I was reflecting this week on, I think, the depth of this poem, uh, I just couldn't do it all. Uh, Verse 4 needs its own time. So I'll work with 
Carl and Sam on that, and we'll get it figured out. But for today, for today, just verses two and three. You know, I'm sure many of you have asked this question at some point in your life: Where am I going? And not just in the literal sense of trying to find somebody's address or find a little local taco shop that somebody has recommended to you, but I think the more ultimate question of where am I headed? Uh, what is my life all about? Maybe if, if you are uh, part of a family or you're married or something like that, you've developed maybe uh, with your spouse or your kids a five-year or a ten-year plan where you want to be uh, in five to ten years. But maybe you've also asked that question spiritually uh, from kind of a spiritual perspective. Man, I've been a follower of Jesus for five, ten, fifteen, fifty years. Where's this thing headed? Where am I going? What is this all about? Well, Psalm 23, I think, is immensely helpful in answering that question, helping us to answer that question. It shows us not only, I think, where we are going, each and every one of us, but also the resources on how to get there. So today I want to look at just two questions briefly. First, where am I going? And then second, who is leading me? So first, where am I going? And second, who is leading me? Psalm 23 says that the shepherd, who's God, is taking us, the sheep, four different places. He's taking us four different places. You'll see the first in verse 2. It's green pastures. It's besides still waters. And then in verse 3, it says he's taking us along or in paths of righteousness. That's what we're going to look at today. But then in verse 4, we see that he leads us through valleys of darkness or valleys of the shadow of death. And then finally in verse 6, we see that there's a destination. It says, the psalm says that we are going, we we arrive home. There's a destination. And today we're just going to focus on those two spots, uh, those two uh, waypoints on the journey, the green pastures and the paths of righteousness. So let's think for a moment on green pastures. You know, the shepherd, it says here that he makes us lie down in green pastures. Our family has, um, I don't know if some of you are dog people, our family has an English Labrador Retriever. He's a good dog, he's a fantastic dog. Uh, He sits, he stays, he lays down when he's told, Uh, he eats only when he's commanded to. Uh, Sheep don't do that, that's what I learned this week. Sheep do not, uh, they don't obey commands like that. They won't sit down when they're told. I know the translation says, he makes me lie down. But the reality is shepherds don't make their sheep lie down. And I'm not sort of making a philosophical point about God's sovereignty or omnipotence or anything like that. I'm just stating what I've learned this week, sort of the anecdotal evidence of shepherds on the behavior of sheep. You can't make a sheep lie down. And there's, there's several reasons why you can't make a sheep lie down. One writer I came across this week who formerly, sort of in another life, was a shepherd, he, he, says, he says this when he's describing the behavior of sheep. He says, uh, sheep won't, they, you can't just get a sheep to lie down unless they feel absolutely free. There has to, the, the sheep has to be experiencing a certain level or degree of freedom in order for them to lie down. And he says there's four reasons why a sheep will not lie down uh, and because they don't feel free. First, sheep are skittish, sort of uh, timid animals. They won't lie down unless they're free of threats, unless, unless they're free of danger, unless they look out and see that nothing's uh, going to be uh, threatening them, their well-being. Second, 
due to social behavior in the flock, uh, sheep won't lie down unless they're free of kind of relational conflict and friction from other sheep in the flock. Essentially, they have to be on good terms with all the other sheep. This is true of a lot of different animals, uh, you know, that you've probably heard of like a pecking order amongst chickens. Well, sheep have this thing called a budding order, and it's, it has to do with the way that sheep rank each other's status in the flock. Um, third, if sheep are being harassed by and annoyed by pesky bugs or flies, they won't lie down. And last, sheep won't lie down if they're hungry. If sheep are hungry, they will not lie down. They need to be free of hunger. So think about that for a moment. Free of threats, free of conflict in relationships, free of annoyances, free of need. Uh, surprisingly, uh, that sounds actually a lot like me. Um, you can't get me to lie down unless I am free of those exact same things. And I think what Psalm 23 is saying to us is this. There's going to be uh, seasons in your life. There's going to be uh, a t- there's going to be times in your life when God is going to get you to settle down in good things. I think that's what Psalm 23 is saying. Uh, I like what one translation of verse two says. It says, "He settles me down in green pastures." Those of you who are who are parents or no good parents, you know, you know this, I think, instinctually. You want to settle your kids into good things. You, that's why you work hard, to make sure that they not only have the necessities of life, uh, but the joys and pleasures of life. And that instinct comes from God. He come, that comes from the God who made us, who says that he's not only a good shepherd, but he's also a good father. Uh, this shepherd wants to give you not just the necessities of life, but he wants to lead you into green pastures and besides still waters. So I have a confession to make. And, um, you know, this past year, I know for many people has been chaotic for a number of different reasons. And I don't know what this season has been for you in particular. Uh, I don't know what 2020 has brought into your life. But to be honest... Uh, for my family and I, it's a season of green pastures. It's a season of quiet and still waters. Our life is not perfect. Uh, Disneyland is still closed. But threats, conflicts, hunger, needs like that, we're just, as a family, we're not experiencing it. And the question is, when God brings those seasons, the question that I was wrestling with this week is, in those seasons, what do I do? What do I do in those seasons? And I think as I was meditating on this, I think there's kind of generally two responses or reactions to those seasons of green pastures, whether you're in it or whether it's uh, around the corner or maybe it's years from now. There's two responses. One is to be so, so busy enjoying those seasons, those green pastures, that we forget the shepherd that led us there in the first place. So we're so busy sort of enjoying the gifts, enjoying the green pastures, that we forget the shepherd who brought us there. But the other response, I think, is to be so forgetful of the shepherd's control and governance over our life that we are, or we're busy trying to maintain that. We're busy trying to keep it going on our own strength, on our own energy, on our own resources. I hope that resonates with you. It did for me this week. 
We're either so busy enjoying the gifts that we forget the giver, or we're so busy trying to hold on to those things that we forget actually it's God who gave it to us in the first place. See, I, I use this illustration often, but like, um, uh, think about when your prayer life, uh, when your scripture reading habits are at their best. Usually it's not when you're in the green pasture. It's not when things are going well for you. It's usually when things are falling apart. Uh, but for some of us, when things, are going, when things are going pretty good, we're busy trying to shoulder the burden of sustaining that ourselves and in our, own, we're trying to stay in the pasture on our own strength. So if you're, if you're like me, if you're in that green place right now, can I invite you just to take a moment today, take a moment this week and say thank you to the shepherd. Say thank you to the shepherd. I'll throw this in for free as well. Green pastures in the ancient Near East that this poet would have been familiar with, uh, they don't last long. The rainy season, much like in Southern California, it begins sometime in November, continues on to about February, and then it ends. You have about three to four months of green pastures, but there's another eight to ten months out of the year where everything is brown, where everything is dead and dying. Uh, my math was never good in school, but there's something like 70% of the Psalms, of, the, of these ancient poems in the Bible, Something like 70% of the psalms in the Old Testament are lament psalms. Did you get that? 70% of the songs in the Bible are describing experiences where things are going horribly wrong for the poet. He's depressed or overwhelmed by anxiety. He's been betrayed by somebody close to him. He's experiencing the trauma of having his community or his village or the city that he lives in torn apart. He's staring death uh, in the face. So if you're in, if you're in a season of green pastures, realize that it comes from the shepherd, and it probably won't last forever. But I was also wondering this week, what kind of practices, what kind of habits might you engage in now? What might I engage in now, so that when the dry season comes, when you've entered the valley of the shadow of darkness, as we'll explore hopefully later you've become well acquainted with the resources of this shepherd, of the things that he provides, of the goodness that he gives, even in, even in lament, even in periods of depression, even in periods of, of death and loss. Um, what are the resources that he provides? I'll name a couple. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who some of you may know that name, he was a German theologian and pastor. He was uh, very influential during the, the, the rise of the Third Reich. He was involved at one point in an assassination plot to kill Hitler. Uh, he was an important man, and he wrote a lot about the gifts that the giver provides. And in one of his best books, Life Together, he says this, The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. It is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. Communal life under God's word is again being recognized by Christians today as the grace that it is, as the extraordinary, what he says are the roses and lilies of the Christian life. Let me suggest to you, and I know that you know it because you're here, you're meeting as a church, uh, but let me suggest to you that one of the, the, the resources, one of the deep resources, one of the amazing resources that this shepherd has provided you is his word and and worship together. 
That's an incredible resource. That, in a sense, as Bonhoeffer says, he says it's the roses and lilies of the Christian life. You might say it's the green pastures. It's the still waters of the Christian life. It's not the only thing. God gives us other things to enjoy that you might say are maybe less spiritual. But one of the things that he provides week in, week out, is a time together under his word, is a time together worshiping him, declaring his praise, is a time together eating bread and wine, celebrating uh, the goodness of our God together. So the Psalm 23 shepherd takes you into green pastures and beside still waters, but he also he also takes you along the right paths. That's verse 3. He takes you along the right paths. You know, if you grew up learning this psalm, if you grew up memorizing it, you're probably familiar with that language in verse 3 of, he restores my soul. That may be sort of nostalgic to you and evoke sort of memories of growing up in church or hearing uh, your your grandparents say that or something. It's lovely language. And it's the language you might expect from, I think, a great religious poem like Psalm 23. But uh, as I was reading and researching this week, it's not quite accurate. Uh, Or should I say it's maybe a possible translation. You could translate verse 3 that way. But it doesn't really fit, I don't think, the concrete down-to-earth language that Psalm 23 is all about. Think about that. Um, Think about what he's been describing. He's been talking about green pastures and still waters. He's going to be talking about the right paths and walking through valleys. He's going to be talking about a rod and a staff that the shepherd has. Um, Probably maybe a, a more literal translation would be something along these lines. He brings me back. That might be a better translation of, of verse 3. In fact, many translations from, from the east, uh, from, uh, from Arabia and Syria and places like that, uh, th- that are actually closer to the origin of this poem, uh, there's translations like this. He brings me back from the wrong path to the right path. So let me suggest to you that verse 3 is actually about a lost sheep. It's the image of a, sheep, of a lost sheep And the shepherd must find and restore that sheep to the right path, uh, along the path that leads all the way home. Now that, I think, fits the context of Psalm 23, I think, a little bit better than he restores my soul, right? Uh, I mean, it is true that it is true. God does restore our souls when they are downcast, when we're feeling low, when we're downtrodden. But the language of Psalm 23 is earthy language. It's It's rugged language. It's gritty language. Uh, We've turned it into kind of a soft, sentimental poem, but it's a down-to-earth poem. And it it makes sense of sheep. Sheep get lost. They wander off. And uh, as we talked about that last week, and when a sheep wanders off, when it knows it's lost, it will hide under a bush or rock and and begin to quiver and bleat. And if the shepherd doesn't come quickly to the rescue... Uh, wild predators, wolves, bears, lions, they will come. They will respond to that bleeding and quivering sheep. Uh, We talked about this last week, but central to Psalm 23 is the truth that we are all like sheep. We wander off, we stray, we get lost. Uh, Old time religion would say this. It would say we sin. We fall short of the glory of God. And here's the thing. I was talking with one of you last week about this. Finding a a lost sheep, rescuing a lost sheep, is an incredibly costly endeavor. 
Uh, if you find a lost sheep, if you just find it, your job is not finished. See, lost sheep won't just follow a shepherd back home. If you lose your dog, chances are you go and find wherever that dog is. You call him or her, and that dog's going to run back to you wagging its tail and perhaps follow you home. But a lost sheep is usually in a state of panic. They'll run around all over the place. And so what the shepherd has to do, I think I was talking with one of you last week, is the shepherd has to grab the sheep, essentially tackle the sheep to the ground, wrestle it to the ground, tie it up by its legs, and throw it over its shoulder and carry that sheep all the way home. You know what that means, right? It means this. It means sheep contribute absolutely nothing helpful to the shepherd's rescue operation. They don't contribute a thing. In fact, they're fighting against it the entire time. The shepherd has to do it all. That's that's the implication in Psalm 3. He brings me back. He returns me from the wrong path to the right path. The shepherd has to do everything. That's the only way a sheep is getting rescued. That's the only way. What does that mean for followers of Jesus? You know, as a pastor, I've been in vocational ministry for a number of years now, and I've sat across the table of uh, many churched people, many nice people, many moral people. And multiple times I ask this question, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? And the response I hear often, quite frankly, is something like this. It means that God loves you, and you have to try hard to follow Jesus' example. It means God loves you and you have to you have to work at it. You have to you have to you have to pray regularly, you have to read the Bible, you have to go to church, you have to love your neighbor. All of those things are true, but when you think about being a Christian that way, you let me suggest to you you're thinking like a lost dog thinks. My owner loves me and now I'm going to follow him home. You're not thinking like Psalm 23 gets you to think. You're not thinking like a lost sheep. See, uh, God is not just, Jesus is not just our teacher. He's not just a moral example who loves you and now says, now follow me. A moral example wasn't enough. A nice religious prophet wasn't enough. You needed a savior to do everything, who would do everything. You needed a shepherd who would do it all. You need a shepherd who is not just going to call you home, but he's going to bind you up, wrestle you to the ground, and carry you all the way home. So that's what it means when it says that the shepherd takes you along right paths, paths of righteousness. And in our last few moments together, let's look at... Uh, so, we, he, so that's where you're going. You're going into green pastures. There's seasons of goodness that God has in store for you. Uh, there's also the reality that when you're lost, when you're confused, when you've fallen again, there's a shepherd who is going to pursue you, who's going to bring you along right paths. And let's look at who's leading us. Let's for a moment just reflect on how good this shepherd is. Any journey, I think, requires a certain level of competence. That's true of sheep for sure. The life of a sheep intent, it depends, as I've been arguing. It depends entirely on the competence and quality of the shepherd. You may know the story, but in Luke 15, 
Jesus is hanging out with all the wrong kinds of people in the New Testament, Luke 15. He's hanging around notorious sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, traitors, and none of, none of that seemed to matter to Jesus. But it mattered a lot to religious types. It mattered a lot to church-going people. It mattered a lot to moral, nice, obedient people. And part of the reason it didn't bother Jesus was because he knew why he had came. He knew that God was about pursuing losers and not winners. He knew that God was about pursuing failures, not successful people. He knew that God was about pursuing lost people and not lawful and obedient people. And that's what the Pharisees got wrong. That's what religious people ordinarily get wrong. They think that religion for most people, is a quest, is a search for God. But Jesus was in the business of searching for lost people, for sinful people, for people who had gone astray. That's what he said. He he said that he came to seek and to save the lost. So let me tell you, your sin might surprise you. It might surprise people close to you. It might surprise your spouse. It might surprise your kids. It might surprise your coworkers. But it doesn't surprise this shepherd. No, God is not shocked by your lostness. He actually expects it. He isn't put off by your lostness. He's ready for it. He doesn't leave you or forsake you in your lostness and sin. Instead, as Psalm 23 says, he runs after you. He moves towards you in your sin. This morning, I want to ask you this. Are you worried about what God thinks about you? of how he relates to you because of the mistakes that you've made, the the addictions that you quietly indulge in, the grudges that you carry, the temper that you can't cool. Jesus says it's precisely the lostness of the sheep. It's precisely your sin that qualifies you for this shepherd's relentlessly pursuing love. And that's great news. It's your sin that qualifies you for the love and the pursuit of the shepherd. That's all it is. And it gets better than that. He doesn't just run after you and rescue you. But now Psalm 23 says he leads you. That's that's who's leading you. This shepherd is leading you. A lot of us, I think, are under the impression that Jesus finds us. He redeems us. You make a decision for Jesus. And now it's up to you to pull it together and keep it together wrong. Psalm 23 says, he leads me along the right paths. He leads, not I lead, not you lead, not we try our best, not we try our hardest. This shepherd leads. And friends, this shepherd never stops. He never quits. He never gives up. In fact, Psalm 23 says he's tied his own reputation. He's tied his name with making sure that you reach home. That's an amazing savior. That's an amazing shepherd. There's an old hymn that says this, and it captures the, 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 it captures the, the weight and the feel of Psalm 23 perfectly. It says, Perverse and foolish oft I strayed, and yet in love he sought me, and on his shoulder gently laid, and home rejoicing brought me. Home rejoicing brought me. That's unbelievable. Think, Just meditate on that. Home rejoicing brought me. Not home lecturing 
brought me. Not home, do it better next time brought me. Not home, this is your last warning brought me. Not home, silent treatment brought me. Rejoicing. Rejoicing. God is rejoicing that he found you. Rejoicing that you belong to him. Rejoicing that you are his. He's jumping up and down in joy over you. Uh, Some of you are familiar with the Old Testament celebration, the feast. Uh, The the Jewish people still practice it today. The, 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 The celebration of Passover. It was the Jews' commemoration of their rescue uh, from Egypt, from bondage in Egypt. God was leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt, and he told all the families to kill a lamb, to kill a sheep, a small lamb, and put the lamb's blood on their doorposts, the door frames of their homes. And then he commanded them to eat the lamb. The lamb, was, you see, was a, it was a sign of protection. The lamb, you could say it was a, it was a substitute. It took the place of the people. The lamb's blood turned away death as it as the plague of death as it ravaged the land of Egypt. And so every year, every single year, the Jewish people remember their salvation through the blood of a sacrificial substitute, a lamb, a sheep. And you know, uh, this gets into the supper a little bit, but the night that Jesus, the night before he died, he celebrated Passover. Uh, he celebrated Passover with his disciples. And What's odd, what was curious about that celebration of Passover with his disciples was one of the main dishes was completely missing from the meal. See, every Passover you had, you had bread, you had wine, you had a lamb. Bread, wine, and the lamb. But if you read the accounts of Jesus' supper with his disciples, you see that there's bread. You see that there's wine. We're, we're going to partake of that in just a couple of minutes. But there's no lamb. Why is that? Friends, there was no lamb on the table because the lamb of God himself, the great shepherd of the sheep himself, was sitting at table with his disciples. See, Jesus is the shepherd who doesn't just risk his life for the sheep. A good shepherd will risk his life for a sheep. But Jesus is the shepherd who lays down. He lays down his life for the sheep. He lays down by becoming one of us, by becoming that sacrificial substitute. You know, all the false shepherds that we run after, that we're pursuing, they will never do that for you. Your career will not lay down and die for you. Your relationship will not lay down their life for you. Your kids will not lay down their life for you. But this shepherd will. He did. Jesus lived the life that you and I should have lived. He died the death that we deserve. He laid it all down. He put it all down. And this shepherd says to you today, you can lay down. You can lay down in the pastures that I've set before you. The pastures of my word, the pastures of Christian community, the pastures of bread and wine given for you as a free gift. Friends, can you lay down as one of his sheep? I invite you to do it, to trust him, to believe him. Be confident in his promises. He's the shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd who's leading you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, you've given us just a, a, a vastness of riches in the scriptures. And Psalm 23, Lord, we, we know is, is just one of, the, one of the many great gems that you've given us in the word. Father, we see in it the beauty, the goodness, the truth of how much you love us. That you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to be the Lamb of God. Uh, to be the great shepherd who would give his own life, not just risk it, but give his own life so that we could be brought home, so that we could be brought in paths of righteousness, so that we could be called yours, so that we could be owned, so that we could be delighted and valued and accepted. Lord, these are staggering truths. Place them into our heart. Drive them into our minds. May they be imprinted on our souls so that we might know you know your great love for us. So Father, as we come now to the table, I pray that you bless us, that you would that we would see in this bread and this cup the ways in which you have laid down and so that we can trust you, so that we can lay our lives down. Father, be with us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.